Hello and welcome to Stories from India, a podcast where we talk about myths, legends and folk tales from India. I am your host Narad Muni and I'm a mythological character myself. I have the gift of eternal life and knowledge of the past, the present and the future. By profession, I'm a traveling musician and a storyteller. So the way I'm doing my job is by podcast. In this episode, we are talking about Shanta. She is Ram and Lakshman's elder sister. I had a listener specially request this story. So here we are. Shanta was character of the week a long long time ago, back in episode 22, Slow Cooker. She exists in many versions of the Ramayana but not the one attributed to Valmiki. But that never stopped me from describing things the way they were. Remember, I've experienced parts of the Ramayana firsthand as you'll soon find in today's story. This story does stand alone. If you haven't heard the rest of the Ramayana that's perfectly okay. All you need to know that the hero of the epic was Ram and the villain that was the ten-headed demon Ravan. Ravan was the emperor of Lanka who at the start of today's story was not in Lanka. He was visiting my dad. Now, before you jump to any conclusions about my family fraternizing with the enemy, let me set the record straight. My dad, Brahma, is the creator of the universe and a member of the Holy Trinity, together with Vishnu the preserver and Shiva the destroyer. As the creator of the whole universe, you can't blame brahma for trying to be nice to all his creations sometimes he gets carried away though and unfortunately there are far too many examples of that he gave ravan quite a few superpowers making him invincible to almost everyone naturally ravan made it a point to visit and thank brahma often it was on one of those visits that brahma accidentally let it slip that a child of princess kaushalya and king dasharath would destroy ravan that got ravan head scratching which is a tough thing to do when you have 10 heads and only two hands as ravan did In the middle of that conversation Ravan suddenly stood up he apologized for the suddenly remembered appointment and said he had to rush off a tall story brahma told me later the dude had 10 heads how could he forget anything but of course he had not forgotten ravan 
merely wanted to secure his means of immortality. All he had to do was to prevent Kaushalya and Dasharath from getting married. When he looked up the files on the two of them, he thought it was a good thing then that the two hadn't even met yet. He headed straight for the kingdom of southern Kosar. This was the kingdom where Kaushalya lived. The idea he had was a simple one, but purely evil. And the moment Ravan's head number four suggested it, the other nine heads readily agreed. In the night, Ravan set his flying chariot, or Pushpak Viman, into hover mode and lowered himself using a rope ladder into the gardens of the palace of southern Kosar. This is where Kaushalya was known to hang out. He sneaked and hid behind the bushes. It was a bit of a struggle finding the right size bush that could hide all ten of his heads. But it was a large garden. Morning came and with it Kaushalya stepped outside her chambers warming up for her morning jog. Ravan rushed out of his hiding spot. While two of the heads looked menacingly at Kaushalya, three others looked down for obstacles on the ground. Four more heads whirled around looking for any possible bodyguards around. The final head whistled for Pushpak Viman to lower down the rope ladder. Within a minute, he had grabbed Kaushalya and loaded her onto the flying chariot. He tried to step on the gas, but his dashboard blinked a warning. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you please put your seatbelt on? He asked Kaushalya. The plane won't move without it. Kaushalya who had been stunned into silence, finally found her voice and let out a loud scream. Realizing that she was not going to cooperate, Ravan put on her seatbelt himself and then stepped on it. He guided the plane north and soon they had left the palace far behind. That was super easy, he thought. Like taking candy from a child. I'll have to be careful not to make a habit out of it. Finally, turning on the autopilot, he switched his attention to Kaushalya. So, dear princess, now back to you. Kaushalya asked, who are you? What do you want? Why did you abduct me? Ravan shook his heads and said, Did you really think I'm the evil Hollywood villain who patiently answers all your questions until help arrives? Sorry, 
I'm not that kind of evil guy. Now get in the box, he said, gesturing at a box in the corner. Kaushalya, with no choice, had to get in. At that point, Ravan promptly closed the lid, lifted the box and dropped it down in a nearby river. Head number seven said, We shouldn't have done that. What if she survives? But the other heads quickly shushed him. Who could survive that fall? asked head number eight. Besides, said head number three, we don't have to be completely opposite from every Hollywood villain. There is some satisfaction in walking away from the scene and assuming that the dirty work has happened. We don't need to hang around just to confirm whether or not she survived the fall. Now, despite what he had intended, Ravan was in for a surprise. That was because of me. Yes, me. I have knowledge of the past, present and future, remember? So I was around to foil his plan. Still, I don't always think about everything. Or I would have prevented this abduction in the first place. Or maybe not. As I rushed on the scene, I saw the box with Kaushalya in it. It was floating in the lake. But not for long. If it couldn't be opened, the princess would drown. Luckily, I spotted just the person I was hoping for. It was Dasharat. He was on a hunting trip, but he had come to the river bank, no doubt for a drink of water. Dasharat, quick, there's a damsel in distress here. That got Dasharat's attention really quick. He didn't even stop to think who I was or how I knew his name. He dived into the water and swam swiftly to the box. He broke open the lid and pulled Kaushalya out. A few minutes later, at the river bank, the two of them lay, gasping for breath. Thank you for saving my life, said Kaushalya. That's the last time I'm flying that airline. There was no in-flight service, not even a complimentary bag of peanuts, and the pilot tried to kill me. But enough about me. Who are you exactly, and how did you know I was in the box? I'm Dasharath, but call me Dash. And I didn't know you were in the box. Some crazy guy carrying a veena said you were in the box. I don't usually believe every crazy stranger I see. But I took a chance this time. And now I'm glad I did. That's how the two of them met. Soon, 
it turned into friendship and later more than friendship after a few months of getting to know each other their families met kaushalya's parents especially thought it was a good sign that the king of north kosar which is what dasharath was and the princess of south kosar wanted to marry they could just merge into one large happy family and one large happy kingdom called kosar now if you think about it this is a perfect example of situational irony ravan abducted kaushalya in order to prevent her from marrying dasharath but ended up being the reason they met in the first place you'll find many such examples in science fiction movies and of course in the harry potter books with voldemort's decision to harm the baby harry which ended up backfiring completely much like ravan's plan did in time kaushalya and dasharath had a baby girl shanta doting parents that they were they loved the girl but something would soon happen that would change her life completely by this time dasharath had also married two other princesses sumitra and kaikey as it happens kaushalya's sister and brother-in-law varshini and romapad were visiting about the same time over afternoon tea varshini and romapad poured their hearts out to their hosts their chief worry was that they had no heir i'd rather not say whose idea exactly it was but somehow at the end of that conversation it was decided that shanta would go and live with varshini and romapad dasharath could have objected strongly but he didn't maybe part of it was that he wanted a boy to succeed him and he got a little bit carried away with that idea also contrary to what some revisionist movies may lead some people to believe the reality in ancient india was that shanta the princess would not be allowed to succeed her father to the throne so anyway that meant shanta grew up in the kingdom of ang with her aunt and uncle believing that they were in fact her parents her real parents and yes if you're already familiar with ang from the mahabharat this is the same kingdom that karna ruled many centuries later now shanta was not the girl who was destined to kill ravan but that doesn't mean she wasn't smart and capable she was wise knowledgeable and also skilled with weapons she would have made a fine ruler 
except she had something else in store for her. That phase of her life started when a rishi, Shivatirtha, visited Romapada one day. Or rather, he tried to visit the king. When he showed up at court, his visit ended up being as disappointing as a trip to the DMV in the US or RTO in India. He was asked to take a number and wait, and ultimately passed around from one counter to another, only to be told after a whole day's wait that it was closing time and to come back later. Well, this was one patient Rishi, because he did come back later. Unfortunately, at that time, the king was in the middle of a rather interesting game of Monopoly with Shanta. Instead of letting Shivatirtha in, or at least delegating the conversation to someone else, the king decided that his time with his daughter was much more important. Shivatirtha was politely asked to leave the premises. Don't call us, we'll call you, he was told. At that, Shivatirtha shrugged his shoulders and moved on. But there was someone who could not tolerate this behavior from a king. And that was Indra, the chief of the Devs. This may puzzle you, because Indra didn't have a horse in this race. Anyway, Indra cursed the kingdom. Seeing as Indra controlled the rain, he did what he knew best. No more rain for you, he said letting the people suffer from lack of rain. That figures. All it takes to badly direct blame is one semi-engaged king attempting short-term corrective action over another semi-engaged king. So the rains did stop, and the people suffered. They complained to the king, whose initial reaction was simply to say, if the people don't have water, let them drink beer. A similar sentiment was made famous by a French queen centuries later. But anyway, hearing a resounding no from the crowd, the king did the best he could. He talked to all his astrologers about what was needed here for it to start raining again. Just to be super clear, he wanted medium-sized rain, not just a few droplets here and there, and certainly not a storm on a scale seen by Manu and the unicorn fish in episode 1. The recommendation from the astrologers came back quickly. Maybe they had anticipated me asking them the question, thought the king which would make sense because they were astrologers. 
but the answer itself was weird. Get Rishi Rishyashringa, it said. If he blesses the land, it'll rain. The astrologers were unanimous on this. So they must be right, thought the king. He dispatched people to find said Rishi. Ultimately, some people came back with some information. Shanta and Romapad were part of the debrief. They listened as the informers came back with, well, information. Your Majesty, Rishishringa is a Rishi with horns on his head. Shock spread through the court. But not in a bad way, continued the informer. Not like Hellboy, if you've seen those comics. I only mentioned the horns because that explains his name. But that was completely off topic. Rishishringa is the son of another powerful Rishi. Vibhandaka. Vibhandaka. Isn't that the Rishi who had that affair with the Apsara a while ago? Asked the king, who was certainly a keen follower of page 3 gossip. The very same, your majesty, replied the informer. The Apsara was Urvashi, and Rishyashringa is their child. Indra had commanded Urvashi to disrupt Vibhandaka's prayers, and she did. But the Rishi got a little miffed, because she left the baby Rishyashringa on his doorstep and went on back to heaven without so much as a goodbye note. So she was counting on the baby Rishyashringa to continue the distraction, no doubt? chimed in Shanta. I can imagine it's hard to concentrate and pray for superpowers when you need to constantly change diapers and feed the baby every few hours. Yes, your highness, replied the informer. And it worked. Vibhandaka himself did not acquire any more special powers. He was pretty upset over what Urvashi did. In a very petty move, he skipped Rishyashringa completely unaware of the existence of females. But Rishyashringa was certainly born with superpowers. He can make it rain. So let's ask him, said the king. We tried, your majesty, but he has no interest in any such thing. Father, said Shanta. This needs a woman's touch. Leave it to me. So the king did leave it to her. Shanta handpicked a few of her friends and made for the Rishi's ashram or home. Rishyashringa's first reaction was shock and surprise. And his first guess was that these lovely ladies in front of him were a new species. Aliens from another planet, he thought. And yet, they seemed 
peculiarly similar to himself. Over time, he got to know them and through them learned the truth of his past and eventually accepted it. He learned a lot from Shanta and her friends. So, months later, when Shanta asked him, he was certainly more than happy to bless her father's land so it would start raining again. He suddenly got nervous. And when she asked him what the matter was, he nervously asked her if he could continue to learn from her about everything. Sure, we'll all help you, replied Shanta. Well, not all of you. I mean, you specifically, Shanta. And for life. Not exactly the sort of proposal she had hoped for, minus the ring and going down on one knee and all that, but Shanta was happy to accept. The two were married, and it did start raining in the land again. Rishyashringa became the prince of the land. Later on, Shanta's uncle and aunt from Ayodhya, who were really her mom and dad, would invite the couple over to solve their little problem. But that's a story we have already covered in episode 7. That's all I have for now. A couple of notes. You might have heard the name Lomapad rather than Romapad. They are not different characters. These two names are quite interchangeable. Check out the links in the show notes for the other Ramayan episodes and also to episode 22 when Shanta was the character of the week. In the next episode, we are doing a folk tale from Punjab. It's about a boy who is very much like Aladdin from the Arabian Nights stories, except he doesn't have a genie. Instead, he has a bee with a long beard. Thankfully, this bee does more than buzz and fly around and pollinate. If you have comments or suggestions, or if there are particular stories you would like to hear, please do let me know by leaving a comment or a review on the site sfipodcast.com or tweet at sfipodcast. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to the show to get notified automatically of new episodes. Thanks to all of you listeners for your continued support and your feedback. The music is from purpleplanet.com. That's purple-planet.com. I'll see you next time.